Our first reading this morning presents an epic scene. The construction of the glorious temple of Solomon is complete. All of the gold and silver metalware have been brought in. And now the time has come to bring in the final and most precious of furnishings, the Ark of the Covenant. In it were the two tablets of Moses on which the Decalogue, literally 10 words, were written. So those 10 words, the 10 commandments, were carried into the inner sanctuary, placed under the wings of the two cherubim, and as the priests left the inner sanctuary, clouds descended and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests had stopped what they were doing in the midst of all this, but Solomon, filled with wonder and awe, decided if there was ever a time to stop and give thanks to the Lord our God, it would be now, in the midst of the glory of the Lord, before those ten holy words, all within this beautiful new house of God. So Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all, spread forth his hands toward heaven and said, O Lord, there is no God like thee in heaven above or earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to thy servants who walk before thee with all their heart. But will God indeed dwell on earth? This glorious moment which Solomon wanted to last forever, those ten words, that majestic temple, the glory of the Lord surrounding them, quickly turned into a feeling of inadequacy. Even heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, much less this house that I have built for you. Nevertheless, God, please let us never be separated. Be with us always. In the prologue of John, we hear the good news that God indeed would dwell on earth. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That moment when the natural world was interrupted by the supernatural God would usher in a perpetual era of mystery. How could God take the form of true humanity? For centuries, the church struggled to articulate how this could actually be. Some posited that Christ was sometimes God and sometimes human. Others said that at all times he was half God and half human. But we landed on the perplexing statement fully human and fully divine, not because it made any rational sense, but because of the inseparable nature that we saw in Christ's life, how Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus, something we each have done when we lost a loved one, but then how he yelled, Lazarus, come out, raising him from the dead something only the Lord of life could do. Truly God and truly present in our earthly humanity, 
what other explanation could there be than both fully human and fully divine? Our words fail us, yet we know it to be true. Today we conclude the Bread of Life discourse, not with many believing, like we've heard in previous passages, but with many complaining that Jesus is the Bread of Life, finding it difficult to accept that those who eat Christ's flesh and drink Christ's blood abide in him and Christ in them. I suppose the question in their hearts was, how could God from all outward appearances be fully present in bread and wine? If the hearts of those disciples had come to accept God's full presence in our common humanity through the person of Christ, then God's ability to be present in the banality of bread shouldn't have been a difficult teaching. And yet it was. Perhaps this difficulty was rooted in disbelief, not of God's ability to do what God has already done, become fully present in the earthly and the common, but instead of our ability to believe that Christ would abide in us. A day's journey from Capernaum where Christ was teaching in our gospel takes one down the road to where Solomon's temple once stood. I'm sure stories of its beauty were passed down from generation to generation, and equally recited was that scene from our first lesson where God's glory shone as the ten words were placed in that magnificent and opulent temple. But so close to where that glorious temple once stood, Christ was now teaching that God's glory will shine in perpetuity as once again the word is placed in the temple, the word made flesh, deigning to dwell in our temples, ourselves, our souls, and bodies, through this common bread and wine we offer. How could we be an adequate temple for that precious word incarnate? A friend texted me, I have a good one for you, Padre. My son said this to me after prayers last week. Sometimes I don't think God is real because he never talks back when I pray. When Christ chose us to be the new temples, the new dwelling places of the Lord, God ceased to need a voice, for God now had our voices to proclaim the good news. As oft as he sups with us, Christ needn't lay his hands on the sick, for Christ now abides in the healing hands of those who restore the ill to wellness. Every time that bread is broken and that cup is poured, God needn't clothe the naked, for we have our own garments to give on behalf of the Lord. 
This is why Christ abides in those who eat his flesh and drink his blood to fulfill his promise. And lo, I am with you always, even till the end of the age. To make sure the glory of the Lord never stops shining in this world through each of us. So perhaps it is that that hymn once written to God is but God's song to us. How lovely is thy dwelling place, O beloved to me. My thirsty soul desires and longs within thy courts to be. My very heart and flesh cry out that I abide in thee.